Chapter Four of the Seven Secrets by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Four, A Night Call. Do you know, Ralph? She faltered presently. I have a faint suspicion that you are annoyed about something. What is it? Be frank now and tell me. Annoyed? I laughed. Not at all, dearest. Nervous and impatient, perhaps. You must make allowances for me. A doctor's life is full of professional worries. I've had a trying day at the hospital, and I suppose I'm quarrelsome, eh? No, not quarrelsome, but just inclined to be a little suspicious. Suspicious? Of what? Her woman's power of penetration to the innermost secrets of the heart was marvelous. Of me? How absurd, I exclaimed. Why should I be suspicious, and of what? Well, she laughed. I really don't know, only your manner is peculiar. Why not be frank with me, Ralph, dear, and tell me what it is that you don't like? Have I offended you? Not at all, darling, I hastened to assure her. Why, you're the best little woman in the world. Offend me? How absurd! Then who has offended you? I hesitated. When a woman really loves, a man can have but few secrets from her. Ethelwyn always read me like an open book. I'm worried over a critical case, I said, in an endeavor to evade her question. But your patients don't annoy you, surely, she exclaimed. There is a distinction between annoyance and worry. I saw that she had detected my suspicion, and at once hastened to reassure her that she had my entire confidence. If Mary finds her life a trifle dull with her husband, it is surely no reason why I should be blamed for it, she said in a tone of mild complaint. No, you entirely misunderstand me, I said. No blame whatever attaches to you. Your sister's actions are no affair of yours. It is merely a pity that she cannot see her error. With her husband lying ill, she should at least remain at home. She declares that she has suffered martyrdom for his sake long enough, my well-beloved said. Perhaps she is right, for between ourselves the old gentleman is a terrible trial. That is only to be expected from one suffering from such a disease, yet it can serve no excuse for his wife taking up with that gay set, the Penn Pagets and the Hennikers. I must say I'm very surprised. And so am I, Ralph. But what can I do? I'm utterly powerless. She is mistress here and does exactly as she likes. The old gentleman dotes on her and allows her to have her way in everything. She has ever been willful, even from a child. She did not attempt to shield her sister, and yet she uttered no condemnation of her conduct. I could not, even then, understand the situation. To me one of two things was apparent. Either she feared to displease her sister because of some power the latter held over her, or this neglect of old Mr. Courtney was pleasing to her. I wonder you don't give Mary a hint that her conduct is being noticed and remarked upon. Of course, don't say that I've spoken of it merely pointed to her in the manner of a vague suggestion. Very well, if you wish it, she responded promptly, for she was ever ready to execute my smallest desire. And you love me quite as truly and as well as you did a year ago? I asked eagerly, stroking the dark tendrils from her white brow. Love you? she echoed. Yes, Ralph, she went on, looking up into my face with unwavering gaze. I may be distraught and preoccupied sometimes, but... Nevertheless, I swear to you, as I did on that summer's evening long ago, when we were boating together at Shepperton, 
that you are the only man I have ever loved and shall ever love. I returned her caress with a passion that was heartfelt. I was devoted to her, and these tender words of hers confirmed my belief in her truth and purity. Need I repeat what I have told you so many times, dearest? I asked in a low voice, as her head rested upon my shoulder and she stood in my embrace. Need I tell you how fondly I love you, how that I am entirely yours? No, you are mine, Ethelwyn, mine. And you will never think ill of me? she asked in a faltering tone. You will never be suspicious of me as you have been to-night? You cannot tell how this all upsets me. Perfect love surely demands perfect confidence, and our love is perfect, is it not? It is, I cried, it is. Forgive me, dearest, forgive me for my churlish conduct to-night. It is my fault, all my fault. I love you and have every confidence in you. But will your love last always? she asked with just a tinge of doubt in her voice. Yes, always, I declared. No matter what may happen, she asked. No matter what may happen. I kissed her fervently with warm words of passionate devotion upon my lips, and went forth into the rainy winter's night with my suspicions swept away and with love renewed within me. I had been foolish in my suspicions and apprehensions and hated myself for it. Her sweet devotedness to me was sufficient proof of her honesty. I was not wealthy by any means, and I knew that if she chose she could, with her notable beauty, captivate a rich husband without much difficulty. Husbands are only unattainable by the blue stocking, the flirt, and the personally angular. The rain pelted down in torrents as I walked to Kew Gardens Station, and as it generally happens to the unlucky doctor that calls her mate upon him in the most inclement weather, I found on returning to Harley Place that Lady Langley, in Hill Street, had sent a message asking me to go round at once. I was therefore compelled to pay the visit for her ladyship, a snappy old dowager, was a somewhat exacting patient of Sir Bernard's. She was a fussy old person who believed herself to be much worse than she really was, and it was, therefore, not until past one o'clock that I smoked my final pipe, drained my peg, and retired to bed full of recollections of my well-beloved. Just before turning in my man brought me a telegram from Sir Bernard, dispatched from Brighton regarding a case to be seen on the following day. He was very erratic about telegrams, and sent them to me at all hours, therefore it was no extraordinary circumstance. He always preferred telegraphing to writing letters. I read the message, tossed it with its envelope upon the fire, and then retired with a fervent hope that I should at least be allowed to have a complete night's rest. Sir Bernard's patients were, however, of that class who called the doctor at any hour for the slightest attack of indigestion, and summonses at night were, consequently, very frequent. I suppose I had been in bed a couple of hours when I was awakened by the electric bell sounding in my man's room, and a few minutes later he entered, saying, "'There's a man who wants to see you immediately, sir. He says he's from Mr. Courtney's down at Kew.' "'Mr. Courtney's,' I echoed, sitting up in bed. "'Bring him in here.' A few moments later the caller was shown in. "'Why, short!' I exclaimed. "'What's the matter?' "'Matter, doctor,' the man stammered. "'It's awful, sir.' "'What's awful?' "'My poor master, sir. He's dead. He's been murdered.'" End of chapter 4 Recording by Tom Weiss, tomsaudiobooks.com